You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc episode number 93. The For you Toronto Maple Leaf fans out there, the Dougie Gilmore of podcast episodes. Today we are talking about neck treatments. This is such a common question that we get across all our platforms, whether it's on complete concussions or whether it's uh, on uh, concussion doc or whether people ask me personally or on our concussion fix community. The number one question, well not the number one, but one of the most common questions we get is what is the best form of therapy for my neck? What should I be looking for? Should I go for a massage? Should I get acupuncture? Should I see a PT? Should I see a Cairo? Um, all of these questions always come up because the neck is frequently involved in concussion injuries and more and more people are starting to realize it. Um, the neck is a major, and I mean major with a capital M, major contributor to persistent concussion symptoms. Uh, in fact, in my opinion, the majority of people with persistent concussion symptoms have some sort of neck involvement in their condition. Um, persistent concussion symptoms, for the most part, have been shown not to be related to ongoing brain dysfunction. Now, this obviously sounds super provocative to those that are having persistent concussion symptoms because everyone always thinks that it's something going on with their brain. But... The majority of evidence, and I'll show you this as we get into this, uh, describes other reasons for persistent symptoms other than brain ongoing brain injury. So that's something that we have to clear up as we go. Uh, first, we have one big announcement. The cart is now open. Uh, for those of you familiar with Complete Concussion Management, we provide concussion training courses to PTs, chiros, ATs, physicians, etc. And we update it every single year with all the new research. And I've just spent the past two or three months going through all of the research from last year and updating that course. And we put it out on a brand new platform. And today we finally released it to the public. So for those of you that are watching live, uh, if you do want to take a concussion training course, uh, in my opinion, the best concussion training course in the world uh, with the most evidence behind it. Uh, if you go to Complete Concussions Instagram account, that's at Complete Concussions and share our post from today in your story and tag at Complete Concussions. We will send you a link for a 25% off discount code. So not only are you getting the best concussion course in the world, but you're also gonna save uh, $375 US dollars uh, by doing it. And to sweeten the deal even further, we're offering a uh, free 60-day trial of the new um, uh, CCMI Academy, which is our research uh, group and community. So you get access to CCMI Facebook group, ongoing monthly research updates, uh, monthly webinars on research. Actually, I'm doing uh, October's monthly webinar today, right as soon as I finish this. And so that's another $200 value. So by going to our post, sharing that in your story, tagging at Complete Concussions today, you actually get access to this brand new course, all the newest information on concussion, and you save almost $600 
and that stays right in your pocket. Unfortunately, if you're watching this on YouTube, we usually release it a week later, so the sale ends next Wednesday and you've probably missed it, but you might get lucky if we, if we launch it earlier. Go check out in the show notes. There may be a link there for you. Okay, on with the show. So here's the breakdown for today's episode. I have four main topic areas to cover that will hopefully paint a nice picture of what is going on here with the neck and how to kind of figure out which treatments are the most effective or could be the most effective in your particular situation. So the four things, number one, excuse me, we are going to talk about how the neck is involved in every single concussion uh, as long as it's impact related. So there's a difference between blast-related concussions and impact-related concussions because an impact actually causes a direct impact to the head or body that will cause a whipping motion, which means your neck will be involved. A blast-related injury is usually due to fluid pressure waves that are coming through the air, and it may not actually involve significant movement of the neck, but you will get the transmission of those pressure waves into the brain. So in blast-related concussions, this may not hold true. But in every single impact-related concussion, the neck is involved to some degree, and I will explain all of that. We're going to also talk about how concussion is a very short-term and functional injury. Uh, we currently are running um, workshops for concussion patients, and... Uh, we get a lot of flack by saying that concussion is a short-term injury because people don't necessarily understand what a concussion is because they attribute the symptoms that they are currently experiencing to actual concussion or ongoing brain injury. The concussion itself, the actual pathophysiological process that happens inside the brain is a short-term thing. The symptoms of that initial injury can be due to a whole variety of different things. Those can last a really long time. So just because you've had a concussion and you still have symptoms months to years later doesn't mean that it's your brain causing those symptoms because the short-term concussion injury um, is short-term and it's a functional injury and it doesn't actually create any damage to the brain and I'll talk about that. Number three, we're going to talk about how the symptoms of neck injury and whiplash are the exact same as the symptoms of concussion. So if they're caused by the same thing, impact, acceleration, and the symptoms are the same. How can you separate the two things? So this is my theory, and it's starting to be proven in the literature now that a lot of patients with persistent concussion symptoms actually have neck issues. Number four, and we're going to talk about now, is what you can do about it. What's the best form of treatment? How should you go about getting treatment for neck issues? Uh, and that's usually the question we get is people have already kind of come to the conclusion that they probably have a neck issue and they want to know what they should be doing as the best form of treatment for their neck issues. So here we go. Number one, let's talk about this. The neck is involved in every single impact related concussion. May not be blast, like I said, because it's due to pressure waves. But impact related concussions are uh, due to acceleration and deceleration of the brain. We used to think it was the brain hitting the inside of the skull and kind of creating a bruising on the brain. And more recent kind of neuroimaging has found that the injury actually occurs more to the white matter, which is a deeper tissue in the brain. And the theory is that the brain tissue actually stretches. So when there's an acceleration, if you think of the brain like jello, if I'm to shake a plate of jello like this, it's going to kind of bounce up and down and deform this way. Now, if I was to zoom in on every little jello fiber strand, 
I would see that get stretched and come back almost like an elastic, right? Comes back, stretches, comes back. Well, the, the brain cells have these little holes within them. So as they get stretched, those holes get stretched open. And then there's some stuff that's inside the brain cell that isn't supposed to leave necessarily. And then stuff outside that's not supposed to come in. And so you get this exchange that happens and that exchange creates this excitation. So the brain, the nerves of the brain start to fire uncontrollably and that causes your initial symptoms. So this is the first phase of concussion and it's called the excitatory phase because the brain gets stimulated and gets excited. Now, if we were to do an MRI, and I know many of you have probably had an MRI or a CT scan of some kind to look at the brain and it's probably normal because it is in concussion because there's actually no damage from a structural standpoint to the brain. Concussion is a functional injury. It changes how the brain functions, but it does not damage the structure of the brain. All right, so you have acceleration and deceleration to the to the head and neck, okay? So that's the first part. No damage to the brain. In severe brain injuries, that's when you actually get damage. So the reason why they're doing a CT scan at the hospital is to try and see if A, if there's any bleeding going on, if you've torn some blood vessels and there's some bleeding going on, because that can be obviously very significant. Number two, they're looking to see if there's any skull fractures or anything they should need to be worried about. Number three, they're looking for any actual structural brain damage, okay? But with concussion, CT scan is gonna be normal and away you go, um, and so that's it. So basically what you get is a stimulation, quick stretch, and you get all this firing, which can cause dizziness, blurred vision, uh, balance impairments, headaches, uh, confusion, disorientation. All of these things happen because there's so much going on inside the brain at that moment in time that it just you can't make sense of what's going on around you. Okay. Now, because of all this firing and all this stimulation, you get into phase two because all of that firing and stimulation burns a lot of energy. And because of that stretch mechanism and the stuff that's exchanged through, it actually impairs your brain cells ability to produce energy. So we end up burning a lot of energy while we go around and clean up all this mess that's occurred, but we're not creating or producing enough energy. So we get a mismatch. So we actually are net negative on our energy. We're burning more energy than we're creating. And so what happens over the first few days after concussion is people get very tired, very fatigued things that normally wouldn't really bother them end up really bothering them because they just kind of crash down in terms of an energy standpoint. So basically your brain just isn't functioning, not firing on all cylinders. You have this energy deficit, but after a couple of weeks, that energy deficit has actually reversed itself and you've come out of it. And they find this even in patients with chronic persistent symptoms, these energy deficits have essentially resolved. So people go, well, wait a minute, but I'm still having symptoms and I, my energy still feels really low and I'm really fatigued. That's a different thing. So like I said, concussion is a short-term functional injury. You get this stretching, which is due to acceleration of the brain, right? It's not, it's not impacts, right? This doesn't cause concussion injuries. You need to have a really good big acceleration, which stretches brain tissue. When that stretch occurs, you're going to get this exchange of ions. That's going to stimulate the brain, create this excitatory thing that's going to cause your initial symptoms. That subsides within a few seconds to minutes. So it's a very quick thing. But then the result of that over the next few, few weeks is that energy just dropping, dropping, dropping. Then you turn the corner and you come back up and, and between three and six weeks, all of it is back to normal. Okay. So that is the first part. Um, 
So if you're still having symptoms, because this is a common one we get is, is, you know, it's been months to years. How can you say that this is short term? I'm still dealing with this. I still have so much issues going on. Okay. Like I said, this is persistent concussion symptoms. And most of what we know about it from the scientific literature is that it is not due to ongoing brain injury. All right. That is the distinction. Persistent concussion symptoms for the majority of literature out there has basically found that there's there's no consistent literature to show that there's ongoing brain damage or dysfunction in patients with persistent concussion symptoms. So persistent concussion symptoms are due to other things. So there's two kind of main categories that you can put these two things into. Number one, it's something that happened concurrently at the time of the concussion injury. So if concussion is due to acceleration or deceleration, what else could be accelerated or decelerated at the same time, which can result in injuries that would be attributed to potentially brain injury, right? One of them would be maybe your vestibular system, right? You have little rocks and stones inside your vestibular system. If you get hit hard enough, they can maybe dislodge. That can lead to vertigo, dizziness, and balance. So you're thinking I have brain injury, but really you have a vestibular issue, okay? So it's something that happened concurrently at the time of the injury, that is leading to ongoing perpetual symptoms, or it's a mismanagement of the injury in the early stages. For example, and probably the most common example is telling a patient to rest after their injury. We know, and this has been proven, that rest causes deconditioning, blood flow abnormalities, stress, anxiety, uh, depression, um, chronic fatigue. Um, did I, I don't even know if I said this, this one yet, but deconditioning. So all of these things, can look exactly like concussion. So you get a concussion, your doctor tells you to rest and do nothing because your brain needs to heal, which is complete garbage and has been disproven, yet a lot of people are still telling people to do this. Rest is out, throw it away. That's not the treatment for a concussion. But unfortunately, people have been told to rest. And what happens when you rest? All of these things that look like concussion. So then you go back and say, but I'm still having all these symptoms. Well, just keep resting. Or they try to blame you and say, well, did you look at your cell phone? Did you, are you sure you're resting hard enough? You know, um, but that's actually not the case. So again, this is not due to brain injury now. This is due to physical deconditioning, stress, anxiety, PTSD, whatever may come as a result of being told to rest and do nothing and sit in a dark room and don't talk to your friends and don't go on your cell phone and you're going to be like this forever and we don't know when you're going to recover and all of these things. That's currently what you're dealing with, not necessarily concussion, right? So concussion, persistent concussion symptoms are due to two main groups of categories, either something that happened concurrently or something that wasn't addressed early on in the recovery process, okay? And actually, for those of you that have heard of the concussion fix program, that is the whole purpose of the concussion fix program. After seeing, you know, thousands of patients come into my office, you know, months to years after their concussion injuries and they've only been resting, they've been told not to do anything, and I completely just go, like, you've been completely misled on this whole situation. So then you start going, no, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, the science supports this, let's spin this around, let's start going down this path, and within a couple months, they're back to normal, right? Well, so the concussion fix program was us getting together with, with you know, myself and various colleagues and saying, this is ridiculous, and so we need just to educate people. So if you want to check out the Concussion Fix program, if you're not in an area, you don't feel like you're getting good help, go to concussiondoc.io and you'll see the Concussion Fix program there. You can check it out. There's information on it. We have probably 200 people in there right now and uh, it's been really eye-opening for them. So anyway, on with it. Anyways, like I said, 
Persistent concussion symptoms, not shown to be due to ongoing brain injury, but other things that either happened concurrently or they gradually occurred over time as a result of mismanagement. One of the things that can happen concurrently, and you can see where I'm going with this, is neck injury. Concussion, like I said, is due to acceleration or deceleration. Whiplash injury is due to acceleration and deceleration. So both injuries, and if you haven't noticed, if you just look at me right here, my head is attached to my neck. So if you have acceleration of the head and neck, or the, just the head, you cannot have acceleration of the head without acceleration of the neck. And actually early animal studies found that if you were to completely stabilize the neck and make it rigid and not allow it to move at all, and you hit the animal, they usually do it with a pendulum weight. They swing a little weight down and hit them in the head. And they, you can't cause a concussion if the neck is not allowed to move. But if you let the neck go free, concussion occurs. So you need to actually have acceleration and movement of the neck for a concussion to happen. Okay, concussion, let's talk about G-forces now. Acceleration measured in G-forces. Whiplash takes four and a half Gs to cause mild strain injury to the muscles and joints of the neck. Four and a half Gs. Concussion requires 70 or more Gs. So if you're taking 70 Gs to your head, you are taking at least four and a half to your neck. This is why no matter what, every single concussion also has a whiplash or mild strain injury to the neck. And you might be thinking, but I don't have any neck pain. That doesn't necessarily matter, okay? Neck issues can cause blurred vision, eye movement disorders. And actually there was just a case report this month that's in our research update of a whiplash patient with all sorts of visual dysfunctions, saccadic motion, smooth pursuit issues, uh, convergence issues, and by rehabbing their neck, all of their visual issues you know, went away. And so this is something that I see clinically in my practice. Anyway, eye movement disorders, headaches, confusion, dizziness. Literally, if you take the symptoms of concussion and put them side by side, you will be not be able to tell the difference. And the same thing is if you take concussion patient and a whiplash patient and put them side by side and ask them what their symptoms are, you will not be able to tell the difference. In fact, when I was doing my sports medicine residency, uh, I did my research with the University of Buffalo, which is very prominent in the persistent concussion symptoms space. And we studied patients with chronic whiplash, patients with chronic concussion, and we gave them the same outcome measures to try and see how similar they were. And we could not find a significant difference between the two groups. The only thing that was different was if somebody hit their head, the primary physician diagnosed it as concussion. If somebody was in a car accident but didn't hit their head, they called it whiplash. The symptoms were identical, the mechanism was identical, and you don't have to hit your head for a concussion. So there's tremendous overlap in these two things, okay? So they happen the same way, they cause the same symptoms. Concussion is a short-term injury, but if left untreated, whiplash can cause problems for months to years. So if you're sitting there with a concussion that's lasting months to years, what are the chances that you actually just have ongoing whiplash and no longer have concussion, right? And here's how it goes. Concussion is the first part, then it kind of falls off, but you also have whiplash at the same time, which stays up. So everyone's walking around thinking, oh, I have a brain injury. It's my brain injury. It's my brain. It's my brain. It's my brain. Meanwhile, it may not be. It may actually be your neck.
and it's very difficult to tell the difference unless you know what you're looking for. So it may have initially been a concussion, but it may now be something else. So let's talk about some common symptoms just to drive this point home a little bit further. Uh, number one is headaches. The brain itself cannot feel pain in itself. There are no nociceptors, which are pain receptors. The brain does not contain its own nociceptors. So you can poke and prod the brain and it won't feel pain. So if you think that the headaches you're feeling are due to something wrong with your brain, that can't be, okay? The brain itself, and here's a quote, the brain itself does not feel pain because there are no nociceptors located in brain tissue itself. This feature explains why neurosurgeons can operate on brain tissue without causing a patient discomfort, and in some cases can even perform surgery while the patient is awake. So they're in there cutting away at brain tissue and you're wide awake, all right? And you think that the headache you're having is from concussion injury, you should probably rethink that, okay? Look outside the brain for headaches in general for the most part. Most common types of headaches in post-concussion patients are tension type and uh, cervicogenic type, which are both referred pain mechanisms from muscles and joints of the neck. Referred pain is pain that is felt in one area of your body, but is actually being caused by a different area of your body. The most common example that people would understand would be a heart attack, right? What are the symptoms of a heart attack that they commonly tell you? Well, you have left arm pain, you have jaw pain, right? You have shoulder back pain, okay? Well, there's nothing wrong with your left arm. There's nothing wrong with your jaw. It's your brain just going, something's going on over here somewhere, and I don't really know where it is. That is what is, that's what referred pain is. So referred pain comes from areas of your neck that were injured in concussion. So you have pain or dysfunction in muscles of your neck. So think about you get whiplash injury, you compress some of these joints, they get irritated and inflamed, the muscles around them tighten up because they're all stiff and sore. So what starts to happen when those muscles get really, really sore is you start to feel pain in your head but you don't know that your neck is even sore because the headache is worse. Patients will feel headache behind the eyes. Patients will feel headaches in the temples. Patients will feel headache right in the forehead, okay? Those are all neck-related headaches. The muscles in the upper part of your neck refer pain right over the top of the head, right to the forehead, or even behind the eyes, okay? The muscles right here in the front of the neck refer pain up into the face region, the jaw, the forehead. Um, the temple region, you could have jaw dysfunction that causes headaches in the temple region. So most headaches are due to neck dysfunctions, all right, especially following concussion, all right? So let's talk about now visual problems. How can your neck cause visual problems? Well, you have these little things inside your neck called muscle spindles. They tell your brain where you are in space and they sense tension. So you can sense tension in a variety of ways. One is if the muscle is stretched, all right, your, those spindles will start to fire. So as tension increases, the firing frequency of these muscle spindles also increases. So if I stretch a muscle, I'll get increased firing frequency. If I contract a muscle, I will get increased firing frequency. And so what happens is as you turn your head and rotate in different directions, the changes in firing frequencies of these muscles is telling your brain what your neck is doing. All right, these spindles are what help us to know where we are in space. The most dense areas for these spindles are in your fingers, 
and in the muscles of your neck. They've done research on cats, and we know how cats are. You throw a cat in the air and it'll land on its feet no matter what. They have very rich, dense proprioceptive mechanisms from their neck to tell them where they are in space. If you anesthetize, meaning put an anesthetic into the muscles of a cat's neck, it can't even walk because it gets so disoriented of where it is that it'll fall over, even just walking on all fours, which should never happen. That's how important your neck function is in telling you where you are in space. And it will link in with your other senses, your vision and your vestibular function. So your balance system is telling you where you are in space. It's telling you if there's any rotation, any movement, any acceleration or deceleration. Okay, that's your vestibular balance system. Your eyes are telling you where you are in space. Okay, but every time your eyes move, if they're scanning an environment, it's constantly asking your vestibular system for feedback and constantly asking your neck for feedback. Okay, so if your eyes are scanning a room and there's something on this side that's tight, it'll cause a little skip in your vision. So if I'm doing a visual exam on somebody and I'll start seeing these little skips, oftentimes clinicians will say, well, that is because you have a brain injury. You have a, um, you know, you have an ongoing, you know, issue with your vision and they'll refer you to vision therapy and you'll go through all this vision therapy and they'll be trying to correct it, but it won't work. It's not saying that you don't have a vision issue, but it's you're not paying attention to what else is going on that could be holding that back. So visual dysfunction is caused by neck issues. Oftentimes people will describe headaches right behind the eyes when they read or do a lot of activity. They'll think it's something going on with their eye. But actually what it is, is remember these muscles back here refer pain behind the eye. These muscles back here also are the ones that fire the most when your eyes move. So as your eyes are moving, reading a book, let's say, these muscles are firing even more and then boom, you start to get a headache right here and you think there's something going on with your eye. And that's actually not the case. It's something going on with right back here, okay? Dizziness, again, same type of issue. You have these muscle spindles. If one side is, you know, let's say your, your vestibular system is saying everything's level, your visual system is saying everything's level and your neck is telling your brain that your head is tilted like this. Well, your brain's gonna go, wait a minute, I don't know who to believe here, right? If all three systems are telling you the same information, then you feel good. Dizziness and imbalance is because one of the systems is telling you the wrong information. Which one of those symptom, systems is telling you the wrong information? Maybe a visual problem, maybe a vestibular problem, maybe a neck problem. And the neck is the one that's often overlooked. People get referred to vestibular PT, people get referred to uh, vision therapy, but people don't really understand how the neck influences all of these different systems makes you feel dizzy, gives you headaches and all these other things. Okay. So how do we treat this? If you're sitting there right now thinking that this is me for sure, I've done everything. I've even maybe even tried getting my neck treated, but it didn't really work. Or maybe it made things worse. That's not necessarily a bad thing either, right? Patients say, Oh, I went to such and such a practitioner. And after that, I was so symptomatic. I felt so awful, blah, blah, blah. To me, that's actually a good sign, all right? If that's happened to you, go back and go down that path because that right there shows you that something was triggered. If there was nothing wrong with your neck, you wouldn't have a response like that. But if there's something wrong with your neck, you could have all sorts of crazy responses. So if they're a good clinician and they have experience in this, they should be telling you that you're likely to feel like crap after the first couple treatments because that's a common, common, common thing. But most patients, especially those with persistent concussion symptoms, have been feeling like crap for so long that they do not want to do anything which could make them feel like crap anymore, okay?
but really what they need to do and the irony of it is actually put themselves through a little bit of that to get to the other side and actually make a difference. Okay, so how do we do the treatment? What treatment should you be looking for? Uh, this is actually the question that started this whole rant off, but let's look at the evidence. The biggest thing that I see as a problem and kind of is picked out in the evidence as well is that you shouldn't be doing things in isolation. And this is what I see a lot of times is that patients will do one thing at a time. Okay. Well, I don't want to start doing anything with my neck because I'm currently doing vision therapy. Okay. But like I said, the systems work together. So if you're doing vision therapy and there's an issue with your neck, you're going to plateau on vision therapy. And then you're going to think vision therapy doesn't work. That's not the case. The vision therapy stopped working because you have neck issues that aren't being addressed at the same time. Okay. Same thing goes with vestibular function. If you have a vestibular abnormality and somebody's working on your neck, your vestibular function will try to make your neck tight as a reaction so that you stay stable so that you don't feel dizzy. Well, guess what? Your neck's just going to tighten right back up. So if you're not getting the vestibular issue addressed, the neck treatment is going to not last very long. So the number one thing that you should not do is do things in isolation because you will hit roadblocks. So you have to kind of tackle this in a simultaneous way. Now you can do this by seeing multiple practitioners or you can find one that has actual specific concussion training that knows how to do, you know, the basics on all of these things and knows how these systems work together that can give you kind of a more cohesive rehab, um, you know, management strategy. So the best evidence seems to support what's called cervical vestibular therapy. So involving neck treatments with vestibular and, you know, you can lump in uh, some ocular motor stuff there because some of the central vestibular stuff involves a lot of ocular motor function. So combining it with other therapies in a simultaneous fashion. So please do not say, oh, I don't want to start that yet because I'm going to do this and I want to see how that goes first. You will get nowhere because you'll do your vision therapy, you'll hit a roadblock. Then you'll go over and get your neck treated, but all the gains you made from vision therapy are now disappearing and you're hitting you're hitting roadblocks with your neck because your vision system is is holding you back again. It has to be done in a more cohesive way and I think that patients would get a lot better if they thought in that way of the systems work together, let's work them together. That's how it works. Um do 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 Okay. So what type of treatment should be included? What type of treatment should you be looking for? Most of the evidence supports the use of a combination of various things, including manual therapy and um, rehabilitation exercises. So in the manual therapy side of things, that could involve soft tissue work. So massage, active release therapy, vibration therapy, um, anything to loosen up muscles with a little bit of manual work. Right. And I get a lot of relief on this. If somebody has, let's say, an issue with their, you know, their left sided SCM muscle, that'll tell your brain that your head is tilted and rotated. Right. So you go in there, you start working out SCM and then the muscle, the, all of a sudden the signal immediately back to the brain is that the head is level and they feel immediate relief. So this is something manual therapy. If you know what you're doing, you can get in there and you can literally make somebody feel as if they have no symptoms within a few minutes. It's incredible. Okay. But it won't stay because you also need the rehab side of things. Other manual therapy techniques that are also important are joint mobilizations. So anytime your joint is stuck, it needs to get better movement through it. So you can do joint mobilizations. Sometimes these are things like long axis distraction or just various mobilization techniques for joints. And then the next one up from that is manipulation. People often 
think of this as getting your neck cracked, okay? Now, this is something that usually would be done by a chiropractor, but other professions can do it as well. This one is an important one, and oftentimes people are afraid of it. They think their neck is cracking, it's breaking, it's, it's you know, there's some danger to it. Um, you know, obviously there are some risks to it, but it's not as high as you would think. You actually have more of a chance of getting hit by lightning twice in your life than having any serious adverse event from neck manipulation. It's an extremely, extremely rare Thing to have any adverse effect from this and it's super super important the reason why it's important is because your muscles respond to what's going on at the joint level okay if you think of when you go to move something the first thing your muscles will do is make sure the joint that it's about to move is stable and sitting in the right place then once it knows the joint is sitting and stable in the right place then it will it'll generate force okay if you've ever noticed that if you have like a hip issue or a knee issue where your knee hurts, you cannot generate any force. You're so weak, right? Or if your hip is messed up or if your low back is in pain, you, your glutes just don't fire. You can't generate any, any strength whatsoever. It's because when the muscles go to check, is the joint stable? Can I actually perform this force without hurting myself? The muscles will realize that the joint is not sitting in the right place, not stable, and it won't be able to allocate any force. So if you were just to go and get, let's say, a massage, that may give you some temporary relief on the muscles. But if you have a joint issue, and as soon as you leave that place, the muscles are going to tighten up around that joint as a protective mechanism, and you're right back to square one. So oftentimes people are afraid of the manipulation side of things, but the manipulation side of things is often the most important piece to this because if the joint gets unstuck, gets moving properly, then the muscles can relax. If the joint stays stuck, it not only creates inflammation and its own headaches and its own referred pain up to the head itself, but then the muscles tightening up around it kind of compound that effect. So manipulation is an important piece of this puzzle. So don't be afraid of the manipulation side because that is often the ticket. That's the key to get things moving and firing well and the muscles to let go because sometimes the muscles just won't let go. The reason is likely because there's some sort of joint issue going on that's holding things back. Okay, next, rehab. Postural strengthening uh, and neck stability. That's kind of where you want to go and also proprioception. So proprioception is where you are in space, right? Proprioception is my arm is straight. I don't have to look at my arm to know that my arm is straight because the sensors in my muscle tell me that my arm is straight. That's proprioception, knowing where you are in your body. So proprioception of your neck is where is my neck in relation to my eyes and my head. So some of the things you would work on, for example, is we have little laser pointers that go on our on a helmet or on a headband, and it will point at a target, and we'll close our we'll get the laser right in the center dot of the target, and you close your eyes, and you turn your head all the way to one side. And then you turn it back to the middle and you try to feel, keeping your eyes closed, you just try to feel where you were previously. And when you think you're on that target, you open your eyes and then we measure how far off that target you were. And then you practice it. Because by practicing that, you get better at sensing where your neck is in space. And if you get better at sensing where your neck is in space, you form a less of a disconnect between your eyes, your vestibular, and your neck muscles so you don't feel as dizzy. 
If you don't feel as dizzy, you're also your muscles can relax because it has better proprioceptive sense. They're not just jacked up trying to keep everything rigid. They can relax a little bit and it's helpful. So proprioception is a big part of this. So rehab, stability is big. Okay, not just strength. You don't just want to have a huge neck. You want to be stable and functional in terms of your neck again to know where you are in space, right? What happens first? Muscles stabilize the joint, then they move. If the joint is unstable, not sitting right, then you're not going to be able to move properly. You're going to get tightening of muscles. So you want to work on joint stability as your, your rehab exercise. Acupuncture. So there's some evidence that local acupuncture, meaning put into certain muscles, can relieve headaches can relieve dizziness, and there was actually one study that showed that it improved cognitive function. I don't know how that works, but it, it did. It showed improved cognitive function. Uh, and it was actually an RCT, so it was a decent study, small sample size, but showed that it did increase some um, cognitive function. So I use acupuncture on the majority of my patients. I usually do a little bit of stim work with it, but I'll put it in muscles that are hard to release. Like if I got a muscle that's jacked up and won't let go, I'll stick an acupuncture needle in there and I'll give it a little bit of stimulation and that will relax. And the reason why that works is because it actually messes with the muscle spindle firing frequency. So you got muscle spindles in there that are just jacked up and firing constantly. They have this kind of feedback loop where they keep the things tight. And so if you go in there and you mess with it with a little bit of stimulation, it'll kind of rewire their 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 frequency and next thing you know the muscle will just kind of relax so it's a really good tool to use clinically so basically if you want to have effective neck work you need to have the manual therapy side and the rehab side you if you're going to somebody who's just giving you neck exercises that'll work but it'll take three years okay it'll take you forever if you're going to somebody who's just doing manual therapy, that will provide you likely with some immediate relief. It'll probably kill you the first couple times you do it, but then it'll get better. It'll probably provide you with some immediate relief, but it won't give you any long-lasting recovery because the strength, the stability, the proprioception is not there. So they're giving you a new neck here, but you have to learn how to work it here. So you need both in that sandwich. So you need to have your manual therapy and you need to have your rehab because the manual therapy will give you that immediate relief, but it's not going to stay. So who should I be looking for? Who should I go see? Should it be a massage therapist? Well, massage therapist only covers one box. They're going to give you some soft tissue relief, but you don't get the joint relief and generally they're not going to give you any rehab. So you might want to go, might make you feel good, but don't think that that's going to be the way to get rid of your, your neck issues. It's not enough. Okay. Acupuncturist again, that's one box, right? They might be able to provide some soft tissue relief. Uh, there's acupuncture techniques that can reduce um, uh, reduce your sympathetic and increase your parasympathetic tone and some systemic points that might help you to just feel better and more calm, but you're not getting to the joint problems and you're not getting to the stability issues and you're not creating increased function of your neck. Chiropractor, well, that depends. I am a chiropractor. But if your chiropractor is only doing adjustments, then that is missing a big chunk of what also needs to be done, right? Some chiropractors you go in, all they do is crack, crack, crack. They don't do any type of soft tissue at all. Sometimes you go in and they put little pads on you and then they come in and crack, crack, crack. Those little pads don't do anything. They might make you feel a little bit better because they mess with your nervous system, but they don't actually provide any 
therapeutic benefit beyond kind of some short-term pain relief. So if your chiropractor is only doing adjustments, the answer is no, that's not where you want to be. So you want to go to somebody who's proficient in soft tissue work, maybe does some acupuncture, does some adjustments, and also provides you with the rehab so that it kind of keeps things going forward um, from that point. Uh, PT, same thing. It depends. Should I go to a physical therapist, physiotherapist? It depends. So do they do only manipulation or do they even do manipulation? Do they just do soft tissue work? Do they do any soft tissue work? I know some physios that only do rehab. They don't do any manual or hands-on. Generally, uh, in my experience, most physios or PTs aren't as proficient as chiros with their manual skills, but chiros aren't proficient as proficient with rehab as the PTs are. So it's kind of sometimes, and in a lot of cases in my clinic, for example, I will do a lot of the manual work, refer to the PT in our clinic to do a lot of the rehab stuff, and we kind of work together. So either find somebody that does all of those things or um, a team that has those in-house that you can kind of work with. So in summary, let's summarize this thing up here. The neck is always involved in concussion, always, 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 if it's an impact-related concussion. One of the most common causes of persistent concussion symptoms is neck dysfunction. It is best treated when combined with other therapies that are targeting the other issues such as blood flow, vestibular, ocular motor, psychological, hormonal, everything. Don't do um, neck rehab as a silo and think, excuse me, that it's going to work. Don't do any concussion rehab as a silo and think that's going to work. Best treatments are a combination of soft tissue, acupuncture, joint mobilizations, manipulation, and rehabilitation for strength and proprioception. And obviously it's best paired if you're also doing ocular motor rehab, vestibular rehab, and all those other things that go together because the systems all work together. You can't just do one. Your best bet for all of the above is to find a concussion trained clinician or team that knows this stuff, knows how it works. I can obviously only speak for complete concussion management because we are the ones that provided their training, uh, but they definitely do know this stuff. So if you are looking for a clinic, go to completeconcussions.com uh, and you can find a clinic near you. So there was a couple questions. Um, for those watching on YouTube, I'm going to cut it off there. And the benefit is for those who are here with me live, let's see what we got. Any questions here? Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.